Well, hallelujah. Amen. We uh, certainly anticipate our King's return in light of what we see in our world. We only need look at El Paso, Texas this morning and, uh, and Dayton, Ohio to say with John the Apostle, O Lord Jesus, come, is what we should be saying. Luke has taken us on an amazing journey. We have arrived at the end of the book of Acts. And please remember that Luke's gospel, this is volume two of a two-part series, right? Luke wrote his gospel, and then he wrote Acts as volume two. We know from the very first four verses of Luke's gospel that he wrote to tell us all about what Jesus both began to do and to teach. And Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do after that point. Do you like the words, to be continued? I don't know about you, but it can drive you insane, especially when I was a kid, and there would be part two to the Hulk show. <laughs> and we would think, what in the world is going to happen? It would drive you insane. Uh, if you're looking for closure, then Acts may be a little disappointing. We say, well, what happens to Paul? How long did he live? Did Paul ever make it to Spain? The book of Acts ends with a big to be continued, doesn't it? However, I want you to remember that Acts is not a biography about Paul. These are the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has accomplished in and through his church during the, during the book of Acts, of course, that time frame, through his spirit. And what Luke is doing is he is chronicling for us the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This book is about the ministry of Christ by and through the Holy Spirit through his church. And Jesus told Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Luke leaves us at the end of Acts with Paul preaching faithfully the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in Rome. And so he masterfully keeps the king, not Paul or anyone else, as the hero of our faith. And the hero of the Bible, the hero of Acts. Our king is triumphant. Our God reigns. He does. So the book of Acts is finished, inspired book of Acts, written by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the mission of Jesus Christ is still the mission of this church today. Folks, don't forget that. We get to enter the story of Acts. We get to enter the story of the gospel and the message taken to the ends of the earth. Now, the message and the mission assigned to Christians will remain unchanging until the king returns. And it ought to dishearten us when people preach a false message. With our culture changing so rapidly and churches feeling like they have to succumb to that and do whatever it takes to draw a crowd. Why? So they can get a big offering. You know, you, you do see all this, don't you folks? That's why preachers began to bend. That's why preachers won't preach the truth. Because they're afraid that they may lose a little bit of limelight and or... Maybe they will offend someone. Well, the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, has always been offensive. You will either stumble over the cross into eternal life and trust Christ, or you'll stumble over the cross into everlasting destruction. That's not popular preaching. 
But this preacher learned years and years ago that my call was to preach the Bible. Not what man wants me to do, but what this book says to us. So, let's read verses 17 through 21. And this is got the gospel to Rome part 2. And again, what we are called to do, our assignment is, continued, is to continue as the church of the living God. The desire to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Listen to verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Can you see Paul lift the chain up? Start talking about the chains that he had. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So here we have Paul again feeling the need to speak of his innocence, but not as a means of getting released. Paul again speaks of his innocence Regarding the fact that he's never once spoken against his country or his countrymen. And that is vitally important to understand. And who does he call together? Well, he calls together the Jewish leaders that are in Rome. He calls them together. Now, remember that. He's not calling the Gentiles to him at this moment. He's calling his Jewish brethren together. And so, I think, again, he doesn't want to be released... He wants them to understand he hasn't spoken anything against his country or countrymen. He makes it clear that Rome got involved. Why? Out of necessity. Rome would have given me liberty and uh, let me go. But because the Jews demanded that Paul be punished and or executed, he has to appeal to Caesar. And again, I can see him raising up this chain and saying, because of the hope of Israel... And so, most likely at this point, do you think Paul would have anticipated a rebuttal? Well, everybody else has given him one. Everyone else has been defensive when he talks about the chains and about the condition that he is in. But that's not what happens. This is interesting because they say over in Rome, all the Jews, we don't know anything about what you've done. We don't have a report. We don't have any letters sent with you. And it's kind of strange, isn't it? Perhaps those Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem that has followed Paul everywhere, perhaps they've just come to the point where, you know what, we're just glad this dude's not our problem anymore. And he's over in Rome, and we can just let bygones be bygones, and we're not going to fool with him anymore. Or perhaps this is an understanding that the Jewish people feel like that they're losing every time they put him before a Roman court. And it seems that they want to exonerate him, but the Jews want him killed. Nevertheless... It brings us to verse 23, 
and the first point of our sermon. Remember, last week was about gospel advance, and we looked at two of those points. Today is still about gospel advance, and we've got this point and two more. But I want you to see how the gospel advances with different responses. Because here again, in beginning in verse 23, what does Paul do? He has the right and privilege. Can you imagine someone coming to a preacher and saying, Hey, we'd like to hear what you believe. Don't ever ask me that, because you may stand there for a while. Uh, but here is a preacher, and there's no letters, there's, there's no evil spoken against you, but this sect. Now, understand, the Greek word for sect, S-E-C-T, is heresy. So they're saying, this, we, we've heard about this heresy, and everybody is against it. Has anything changed in our world today? They're speaking against it. Notice what the Bible says. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Emphasis there. In other words, there's a lot of people. For some of you who like short sermons, listen to this. From morning till evening. Amen, brother. Right? And sisterin. From morning to evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God. Emphasis added in the ESV. And trying to convince them with much persuasion about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now, folks, do y'all know where he's preaching the gospel from? The Old Testament. Right? And some were convinced. Different responses to the gospel advance. But what he said, with what he said, but others disbelieved. And beginning in verse 25, there's a disagreement. So it, 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 the gospel advances with various responses. So, do you think they knew something of the story of Saul of Tarsus? The Jewish leaders? I would, I would tell you that it would, it would pretty much be impossible for them not to know something about Saul of Tarsus. Because remember, he went past the traditions of his fathers. Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Benjamite, a Benjaminite. He was all of those things and I'm, I'm sure they knew of Saul of Tarsus, but I don't think they knew of Paul, the gospel apostle to the Gentiles. They didn't know about this. So these Jews are in Rome. They've got a desire to hear this rabbi. They've heard about this heresy that's spoken all over Rome. And so the Jews say, we've heard about it, uh, but we want you to talk about the gospel. So here we are in the center of the ancient world. And Christianity has already impacted it. Think about that. The gospel Message, the coming of the Spirit, uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection all took place where? Yes, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jerusalem. And from there, now we're in the epicenter of the world. And the gospel has already made an impact. You say, well, not many people are believing. That's true. But they're confronted with the gospel. And we know that people are against it. Do you remember what happened about ten years before Paul would have been there in prison? Claudius expelled all the Jews. Because of a controversy over one called Christus. Do you think the Jews that knew Christ were causing a little bit of a stir? Were they preaching Christ faithfully? Y'all better help me preach this sermon. Right? You better listen and help me preach. But yes, those rumblings. Because folks, you can't stop the gospel. And had already made it to Rome even prior to Paul getting there. I think Paul would have been... Elated to be able to share this. Think about this awesome scene. Who is in the audience, however? Well, it's Jewish people. They've come in greater numbers 
to this venue to hear what Paul has to say. Now, were these people steeped in the Old Testament? You better believe it. They would have known their Old Testament much better than you know your New Testament. They would have. They knew it well. And so he begins to explain the gospel in the scriptures, from the scriptures, morning till evening. It takes time, ladies and gentlemen, to provide a framework for the gospel. We love these three-minute, oh, I gave a three-minute gospel presentation. God prayed to receive Christ. Man, it's all good. Well, you don't see that often at all in the Bible. You see a framework of establishing it. Do you think Paul talked about the perfect world that God created in the beginning? Do you think he did? Do you think he talk about the fact, talked about the fact that sin broke it? But the sovereign God of the universe stepped in to his creation on a rescue mission to save humans from their wicked choices, i.e. Adam and Eve. It's an awesome thing to think about the gospel. But with the amount of biblical illiteracy that's in our world today, you must not lean upon A, B, C, D, E in a gospel presentation. You must ground your presentation beginning with the glory of our God. You must begin where the Bible begins. You must tell them why we need a Savior. Not just to put another God on a shelf in case the other God's small g don't work out. We're dealing with the God of eternity who made the world. So... I believe that Paul went from text to text. Can you imagine Paul preaching from morning to evening and using the Old Testament? He's using text after text to explain the Scripture. And he's testifying to them about the kingdom of God. Folks, the king is always connected to his kingdom. So he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the redemptive reign of God, as in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. That's what we mean by kingdom. So Paul is seeking to persuade them about Jesus Christ from the law of Moses. Think about this, folks. Without the law, you don't know of your guilt before God. You don't know that you've broken any law whatsoever. And what did the prophets say? Remember what Jesus said about the prophets? They've been telling you from day one what's going to happen, but you rejected them and you even killed the prophets. So from the law of Moses and the prophets, two things we should mention at this point. Luke is very clear that Paul was trying to persuade them. Y'all see this? There is a form of hyper-Calvinism out there that just says, Hey, just give the word. Read the text and let God do the rest. This is not what Paul did. Y'all see the text? He sought to persuade them. A huge effort of persuasion. Paul was dead earnest about the desire to see people get saved. Could it be that our sovereign God uses truth communicated through the people of God who are dead earnest about someone getting saved to communicate truth to lost souls. Now, folks, listen to me. If you just have communication, Aristotle coined three words years ago from the Greek text. Ethos, logos, pathos. Now, they're all Greek words that existed before Aristotle, you understand. But he used those words to explain uh, different argumentative things that we might put forward. In other words, when we think of logos, we're thinking of the logical truth, in our case, of the gospel. And folks, it is highly logical. Amen? And then when you have ethos, you're dealing with the ethical part of the characteristics of the argument. Uh, the truth content of it. But when it comes to pathos, 
It's the art of persuasion. Folks, let me tell you something. You're dealing with a preacher up here who believes with all the passion in the world that Jesus can save your soul. So we ought to have pathos about ourselves, not a hyper-Calvinistic belief that, hey, just read a verse, walk away and let God. That's not what Paul did. He persuaded them to come to faith in Christ Jesus. Something to be said about listening to someone who knows what they're talking about and they believe that God Almighty can do something, right? There's something to be said about that. And this guy seems to all of them. Now, some are, gonna, some not, are not going to believe. We'll get to that in a minute. Some will believe. But I'm telling you, everybody in that room probably believed that day that this guy would cut his right arm off if we'd believe. We ought to have that kind of passion. Y'all wake up. Y'all awake out there. Maybe my glasses aren't. I got a glare off these lights, and some of you I can see, and some of you I can't. But it's more important that when I look down, I can see what's in front of me down here, right? But look, uh, he's persuading them from the law and prophets. That's the second thing I want you to see. Under the advancement of the gospel, some respond, some do not. This is a common theme of the Bible, right? What does Jesus do to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them the truth concerning himself. Did you know, folks, they were not redeemed at that point by looking and, and recognizing who Jesus was? What was it that opened their heart and mind? It was the Word of God. The Word of God opened their heart. You remember that statement? Did our hearts not burn within us as He taught us the Scriptures? Can you hear Paul at this point saying, Guys, just think about the promise made to our first father, Adam. That there would be some hill crushing, but there's also going to be some head stomping. Y'all remember that in Genesis 3.15? What do you think it means that the serpent would bruise him on the hill? Can you hear Paul asking that to the Jewish leaders? What do you think it means that the serpent's head will be crushed? Brothers, what do you think about the promise made to Abraham? That in your seed, is that plural or singular? Singular in the Hebrew. That through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Who's the seed? No. Who's the seed? It's Jesus, right? Singularly. The promise God has given to us is bigger than any ethnic border. God has a global covenant and a global purpose. If He didn't, you wouldn't be here today saved, if you're saved. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Do you think He, could, he said, brothers, consider the prophets? The prophet Micah said, out of Bethlehem of Ephrathah, the virgin shall be with child. Y'all ever read that? Micah 5, 2. What about you shall call his name Emmanuel? That is God with us. How about Psalm 16? Where it has to be someone other than David because David's bones are still on the ground. But not so with the Son of God. He is the Christ. And then can you hear Paul say, And I, I, I was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, the Lord of glory on the road to Damascus. He is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the greater Son of David. He has come to fulfill all God's promises. Now, folks, hear me here. It is absolutely critical that Paul's message of the Messiah was 100% consistent with the message of the Old Testament concerning Jesus. And that is our responsibility today, too. Any preacher that says, don't worry about the Old Testament, 
You don't have to concern yourselves with it. They're, they're throwing away three quarters of the Bible. And they do not understand the gospel if they don't understand the Old Testament. It's impossible to understand it without the Old Testament. So the prophets made a promise. Moses tells us in the law, everything given to him. So if this was not the case, that everything was in concert with the Old Testament, do you think those Jews would have given Paul a hearing that day? Absolutely not. So the person of Christ and the gospel, they're rooted in and grounded in the Old Testament. God told us what was going to happen all along the way. Now how does the audience respond? There's different responses to the gospel, correct? They're split. Some were convinced to believe and persuaded to believe and others were not. But I guarantee you no one sat there uh, saying, Boy, I wish this would hurry and be over. I guarantee you every Jew, whether they believed or not, they wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Why? Because he was teaching and preaching Christ from their very scriptures. Again, is this not a common scene when Paul gives the gospel? When you give the truth of the gospel, some respond and some reject. Furthermore, according to this text, they began to argue with one another. There's a disagreement. Why? Because, folks, when you preach the gospel, there's a collision going on. There's the collision of the truth of the eternal God, and there's, it's in collision with humanity. And our mind, and our uh, d- dissonance to the gospel, and the fact that we don't want anyone ruling our lives. We don't want to hear that we need to be saved. You can hear people, the Jews, saying this. How could our Messiah be a crucified Messiah? Cursed is the one who is hanged upon a tree. Deuteronomy. There's no way possible that our king in the line of David would be crucified. That's probably what their thoughts would be. But I want to remind you folks that we should never stop opening up the scriptures. Explaining the text. Showing people how Jesus fits into the larger scheme of redemptive history. And you got to do this patiently with people. We're not talking about just a one-time meeting where we just give out the gospel message. It takes relationships. It takes time on the job to get people to understand. But I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you today to put your confidence in the Word. And however, the fact is, Paul, yes, he persuaded, but his confidence, as you're going to see, was in the Word. We, we can't have confidence in church theatrics. We can't have confidence in the next program that's coming down the pike. We can't do that, folks. We, we can't do a dog and pony show all the time thinking that, oh, we're going to have 40 people saved. Folks, God saves an open heart, opens hearts and eyes and minds through the preaching and teaching of the Word with the Holy Spirit of God working together with the Word to open hearts and give, give eyes the knowledge, be able to see. Y'all getting this? It's the Word that saves. That's why Paul didn't say, well, hey, let's have a barbecue on the church grounds and let's get some inflatables and jump around. I'm not, I'm not down on inflatables, but look, that's not what does it. It's the gospel that saves. Paul didn't use theatrics or antics. He just, he believed the promise of God. All right, number two. The gospel advances as divinely ordained. Underscore that. I know it makes you nervous, but it's the truth. Beginning in verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. (laughs) They're okay with every statement, but it's time to go home after this one, right? 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And notice Paul's confidence. They will listen. That's that's a lot of confidence in the word, isn't it? It is confidence. So the second, the gospel advances as divinely ordained. I don't think a single person in this room would have ended their sermon with this note. Do you? How many of you got the gall to look at an entire congregation and say to them, well, the Bible has come true out of Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. You're not going to hear. You're not going to receive. You're not going to see. You're not going to be saved and be healed. How many of you would have the gall to do that? I'm telling you, folks, that's exactly what Paul does. You can't make this mean anything other than what the Bible says. You ask for a Bible preacher, you got one. Are y'all listening? And so, it's amazing that he would have this kind of unction upon him. But Paul quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. It's interesting that people say, well, Jesus never said certain things. Well, on this one, Jesus quoted it in every gospel. Jesus quotes Isaiah 9 and 10. He does it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus is going to quote directly from Isaiah about the hardness of the Israelites' hearts. He moves from explaining text after text, scripture after scripture, and ends with a final word. And the Holy Spirit, he says, has rightly said of your fathers through Isaiah, and it's another passage with a heavy emphasis upon the sovereignty of God, and it makes us cringe because we're so humanistic. We don't want to ever think that anybody is in control other than us. And boy, it makes us recoil when we look at a verse of Scripture and it talks about God doing something called judicial hardening. I mean, it, it, it hurts our feelings. But Paul didn't take it personally because there were some who refused to believe. He placed their unbelief back in the context of Isaiah 6. Is that not true, church family? He places their unbelief directly in the context of Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. On the one hand, you've got their refusal to believe. And on the other hand, you've got God's judicial hardening of their hearts, preventing them from believing. In this fearful process, there are three indistinguishable or distinguishable agencies expressed. There's the ministerial agency of the prophets, right? They've told you what's going to happen. There's the judicial, uh, judicial agency of God hardening. But there's also the suicidal agency of the people who refuse to believe the gospel. And be healed. Y'all see that in the text? Otherwise you would turn and you would be healed. So all those things are working. The prophet of God is speaking. God is at work opening or closing eyes. But, there's, but it does not preclude the fact that people that day were called to make a choice. Are y'all listening? The people that day were called by God. With the general gift of the gospel being preached to them. They had a choice before God... To respond, I think it's important to note that for Paul, this does not pose a problem. For us, it does pose a problem, doesn't it? We, we look at this and we're like, oh, we, we can't wrap our minds around this. 
But what do you expect your preacher to do? Say something that's not in the Bible? It's almost like people sometimes think that the preacher ought to just make up his own sermon. Or if he gets to a text that's difficult, he just says, Well, you know what? God has given us all Scripture. And it's all profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, instruction, and righteousness. But when it comes to this text, I'm just going to skip it. Because I don't think it's profitable. Because it gets preachers in trouble if they talk about the fact that our God who made the world is sovereign. And knows all things. Well, Paul doesn't say, now this is not going to make any sense to you because I was not just trying to, I was really not trying to persuade you to believe because God hasn't opened your eyes. Does Paul do that? Just think how nonsensical that is. What Paul does is he preaches the truth of the word of God and he persuades them to believe. And in Paul's mind, there's no conflict with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Are y'all listening to this sermon? With Paul, there's no conflict in his mind between the responsibility of the people to believe and also the fact that sovereignly, God told them, I'm going to harden you. Now, they harden their own hearts too. But God also hardens their hearts as well. So, from Paul's perspective, he could try to persuade them on the one hand, and at the same time, he understood that if they refused to believe, they were making a choice. But God was also judicially hardening them. Paul will end this by saying the most incendiary thing that could ever be said. And what's that? Salvation has now gone to the Gentile dogs. Right? Man, that's incendiary language to a Jew. You're telling me that our gospel or, or, or our salvation that the king they're now rejecting, of course. Are you telling us that you're going to take this message to the Gentiles? And Paul with... All the boldness in the world not only says, will I take the gospel there, but they will hear. They will listen. They will believe the gospel. You know, this is what caused the riots, correct? In Antioch, in Corinth, in Ephesus, when Paul said the gospel is now, I'm turning and I'm going to the Gentiles, what happens? Boy, Katie barred the door. Uh, They're ticked off about this. But this was Paul's ultimate mission. Here's what Paul knew. He knew that he would have a measure of success among the Gentiles. Why? God told Abraham and God told Paul. Out of you, singular, Jesus, all the nations of the world will be blessed. What does that mean to y'all? There are going to be people all over the world in every nationality that will believe. That's what he told Abraham. Paul had that confidence that people like me and you, way away from Jerusalem or Rome, would believe the gospel. He knew this. Why is this? Because Paul knew according to the redemptive purposes of God that at the time, that time in history, a number of Jews would believe, a small remnant would believe, much like in the days of Elijah, but it would be a small remnant that would believe. This had to happen because God was fulfilling His promise to Abraham. See, I ask you at the beginning, do you believe the Word of God? I'm telling you folks, He's batting a thousand. Right, Chad? His track record is absolutely perfect. And you understand how important the Word of God is to this church, folks. Do you understand how important it is to listen to what God says and you can take it to the bank? And so, he knew this was going to take place. He would also certainly bring in Jewish people all along the way. So, there was only going to be a remnant saved. And Jews were saved all along the way in Paul's ministry, right? But the primary focus... And the largest in gathering would be Gentiles.
cross. Y'all believe this? Are y'all got, y'all got anywhere to go? Oh, okay. just checking. Listen, let me show you. Because a preacher's, the worst thing a preacher can do is say, okay, this is what it is, and not show you what the Bible says. Okay? Y'all want to listen for a moment? Brother, I hate to spring this on you, but if you could pull up Romans 11, that would be a blessing. So everybody can look at the Scripture, not the preacher. It's the Word of God that we listen to, not the preacher's. Not my opinion. Okay? Let me just show you a couple of things that Paul knew as he preached that day. Again, he had already written the book of Romans. Right? This is what he knew. Verse 7 of, of Romans 11. When then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Did Paul know that some Jews would be saved? You better believe it. But others would be hardened. Is that not what Paul just preached? Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Who gave them the spirit of stupor? Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And then there's a quote by David. And listen to verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, hallelujah, that God would harden Jews. And I I know that's tough, so that you could be included. That's the ways of our God. Aren't you thankful that we could hear the gospel and believe? I hope you are. Listen to verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. What does that mean? Well, some of those branches were chopped, but we got grafted in as Gentiles. Now, you better have the right attitude about Jews. You better have the right attitude about the branches. And the branches, actually, God's got a plan for the branches too, right? The Bible says... Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Yippee, we're in, you're out. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith so that, so do not become proud but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. People, that's why I preach like I preach. You can blame me all day. You can fall out with me theologically. But I'm going to stand before the king. And all the more, you're going to hear these same words one day. You're going to hear the same words. Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, and, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Isn't that awesome? For if you were cut off, from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, meaning all who believe Christ. We're not talking about inclusivism or universalism. And then verse 28, as regards to the gospel, is that not what we're preaching today? They are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, 
They are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift of him to him that he might be repaid? For for him and through him and to him all things are to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. One more set of verses. Romans 9 verse 18. 9.18, put your eyes on it so that you know the word. 9.18 So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will that, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter not right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of dishonorable use? Now, I'm going to quit digging, and I'll let you read Romans 9 through 11. But folks, I'm trying to get you to see something. Paul had confidence in thus saith the Lord. How much more confidence? We ought to have full confidence that when God tells you something in His Word, you can take it to the bank. That's the authority of the Word. And I know it's hard. And I know we read verses and, and, and we say, well, just because the preacher said this, he believes that. If you want to know what I believe, come sit down with me. You have no right to tell anybody what your preacher believes unless you've asked me what I believe. Okay? Here's the deal. I believe what the Bible teaches. I believe there's a huge tension in the Bible with the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. But here's my lesson for all of you who've just heard this. If the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you, you best come in. Right? Who knows when the next hardening will take place. And some of you have been hard to the gospel. Even though Jesus is calling, you're just you're hardened to the gospel. Don't do that. So the gospel advances with different responses. And we take into account the choice of man, but we also take into account the sovereignty of God. That's a fair assessment of the Bible. What the scripture teaches us, not tradition, not a man... But what the Bible says. And then the gospel advances as divinely ordained. And finally the gospel advances as we continue to proclaim the gospel boldly. In other words, incendiary words. The gospel is going to leave the Jews, go to the Gentiles. But Jews will be saved all along the way. And it happens even to this day. Jews are being saved. But verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Remember, in prison back then, you didn't get three meals paid for by the government. Well, actually, you pay for it. Right? You, you lived on your own expense. And if you got food, your family brought it to you. And so here's the deal. He, he's paying his own rental, and he's in his own quarters. And he welcomed two years he's there. And he welcomed all who came to him. Now, you know in that all had to be Jews and Gentiles, correct? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So here is Paul. He... Gives these words, and then we learn from Luke, the commentary, that he's under house arrest. 
He's still chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't have a little anklet on. He's chained in shifts with Roman guards around the clock. But Paul is able, by God's divine sovereignty, to hold open house. Isn't that awesome? Don't don't lose me. We're at the very end. But he's, he's holding open house. And he's preaching the kingdom of God to them. What is that? The reign of Jesus Christ. He's teaching and preaching Jesus. The fulfillment of the kingdom as promised through Christ. That would be the new covenant. The coming of the Spirit. Full salvation for both Jew and Gentile. He was teaching concerning Christ. How the Old Testament presented him. His life, his miracles, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. Don't stop there. He also talked about the glorious ascension. The coming of the Holy Spirit. The necessity of believing in Jesus only for salvation. The need for repentance and faith. This is the way Luke puts it. He's doing this with all boldness. That's the favorite word of Luke. Holy boldness and confidence. And he's doing so unhindered. He would say to Timothy from his second imprisonment from which he would not be released. He said this, even though I am in chains, the word of God is not chained. Isn't that awesome? Amazing. Here is Paul in Rome preaching boldly the gospel. And the gospel is going forth from the center of the world. Folks, God doesn't make mistakes. You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. But then God is going to take the gospel out of the epicenter of the world. And he's going to send it everywhere as a prisoner in Rome is sitting there for two years. And he's preaching the gospel to everybody who comes in. Isn't that amazing? You're looking into the unsearchable, unfathomable ways of God. God grants Paul a different method of evangelism and gospel penetration. This guy was a world traveler, right? He went everywhere. But here, God has him sitting in a prison. But he's unhindered. And anybody that wanted to walk into that prison, in that house arrest place, in that, his own quarters, could hear Paul teach the gospel. So we see the gospel reaching Rome. Now what happens? Rome is the hub of the gospel for the whole known world. This ought to excite you. It ought to excite our church. The providence of God here is absolutely unbelievable and glorious. You remember that statement that all roads lead to Rome? Y'all have heard that statement, right? It's where you get the Roman road of sharing the book of Romans and the gospel. Well, all roads lead to Rome. But I want to remind you that God takes this and puts his most gifted gospel preacher and puts him there where all roads lead to Rome. So for two years, can you imagine We talked about the theme of of Acts when we started. It's the universal gospel of Jesus Christ becoming universal in application and experience to the ends of the earth. Folks, you've seen it. This is what's happening right here as Paul is there in Rome. And centrifugally, the gospel is going all over the world from a man who's in chains. But the word of God is not hindered. How many were spiritually born to God? In Paul's two years in this prison. We know of at least one. His name is Onesimus. And here's what Paul will say in that book. I birthed him in my chains. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I might be in chains. But the gospel is not chained. So the entire Roman Empire was filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The universal gospel had become universal in application. Going from Jerusalem to Rome and then from Rome throughout the whole world. You and I sit here today 
If you're saved, because 2,000 years ago, Paul received a Macedonian call and a vision to go west and end up in Rome and not go east. Aren't you thankful? Actually, Paul, the vision to lead Paul to go west and not go east and finally get to Rome. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Truly, as Romans 11 says, how unfathomable are his ways. His paths are unsearchable. And I hope you realize today that we are called, this body, to proclaim boldly the same gospel that Paul was proclaiming in Rome 2,000 years ago. Folks, we don't come to church just to sit and soak up. Put on perfume so we can smell good. I hope you're coming to church to be tooled and equipped to do exactly what we're called to do. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm too old. Or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm telling you, folks... There's not a scripture in the Bible that says, well, you, you got to get to a certain level before you can share your faith. What I find in the Bible, as soon as someone got saved, they shared Jesus. This thing is a whole lot bigger than you are. It's a whole lot bigger than you just sitting in a Sunday school class or a church pew. We're dealing with a gospel message that God said we're going to take to the ends of the earth. And Paul did his part. Now it's your turn. Right? We're called by God to do it. Until we see the king... We need to follow Paul's model of pouring ourselves out for the service of the kingdom. Longnecker said this, because y'all still got the to be continued, right? And you're kind of concerned, what happens to Paul? Here's what Longnecker says. We may believe that after Paul's release from the first imprisonment, he continued his evangelistic work in the eastern portion of the empire. Perhaps he made it to Spain. And since in 2 Timothy 4.16, he speaks of an approaching second trial and a tone of resignation, most scholars believe, conclude that Paul was arrested in 67 A.D., and according to tradition, he was beheaded in Rome by order of Nero. Now, I want to conclude our sermon time together by you flipping over uh, to 2 Timothy. Folks, can I encourage you to bring your Bible to church? I know we have all this techno stuff, and I know you can use your phone, but it's hard to write in the margins of a phone. I mean, you, some of you guys can do it, but I think we're missing it. There's a huge push in America to get people to read the Bibles again. Our church needs that. How many of us are reading our Bible daily? Amen. Is that amen or oh me? We need to be in the Word. And I think we need a renewed emphasis of people walking into this church carrying the Bible. We've been slack on that. I see it. We don't need to be slack. We need to have a copy of the Bible that you use. Okay, that's another sermon. Listen to this. 2 Timothy, and I'm done. 4, chapter 4, 6 through 8. And then we'll pick up in verse 16. Listen. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. All folks, I hope you can say this, and I hope I can say this. There's a great Christian influence that abandoned the faith just the last two weeks. It happens all the time. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, in the, uh, me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Ooh, check this out. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Verse 16. The Bible says, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all departed. 
Can you imagine the grief in Paul's heart when people would would be disciples that were all in? Like Demas, they forsook him. Can you imagine the hurt in his heart for those who said they belonged to Christ but turned aside? But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory and glory forever and ever. Listen, there were a lot of shipwrecks. We we learn here of the lion's mouth. Whether that's metaphorical or not, I don't know. But a serpent bit him. How many times was he delivered? But ultimately, folks, if you belong to Jesus, you're going to be delivered to the throne room of God. Isn't that what the text says? Folks, I just want to, with pathos this morning, say to you, don't stop fighting the faith. Don't stop. Finish the work that God has called you to do. When you see the king face to face, I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Amen? Father, Lord, help us as a church, Lord. God, help me as one of your under-shepherds to encourage our people to stay in the Word. Lord, there's something to be said about finishing well. Oh, Lord, we all start off with such, Lord, vigor. And I don't know if people are lost and then simply go away. Or if they're saved and you're going to get them. I don't know because the Bible said whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Every one of them. You don't whip Satan's children, but you whip yours. Lord God, help us. If there is the tendency in any heart in this auditorium to be wayward after first coming to the faith, God, would you draw them into yourself? Let them see the error of their way. Lord, for those who are engaged in this fight of faith to finish well, God, would you help us? Help us to look at the model of Paul in all that he went through. Even as a writer says, more than likely, Paul was beheaded in Rome under Nero. Lord, he finished exactly the way you would have him finish. And henceforth was laid up for him a crown of righteousness. You brought him straight to the throne room of heaven the moment that sword went through his neck. Lord, we trust you. We trust your word to save souls. And Lord, the gospel has been clearly given in this setting today. God, would you convict hearts. We persuade people to turn and come to Jesus. Only him for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.